to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. Today, I will be your host, Kathy. We will discuss episode 49 of The Story of Minglan, or The podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas, or else email us at Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. Please leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to. We will start off today with an episode recap, then do a pretty lengthy historical analysis, and then finally close with some of the book differences. Alrighty, let's get started. The episode begins with the emperor blowing off steam at Gu Tingye for publicly asking for mercy for his relatives. They're not at court anymore, but rather the emperor's study. The emperor is slumped in his chair, furious at this blindsided request. The emperor didn't think it was appropriate to say such things in public because it puts him in a bad spot. On one hand, this creates a precedent for other nobles or court ministers to step up and ask for leniency. On the other, if the emperor doesn't show leniency to Gu Tingye's family per his request, people in court may think that the two of them have a deteriorating relationship. Either way, the emperor is cornered. Wu Tingye currently is kneeling on the ground to defend his actions. He says that by making this request publicly, people will see that the emperor is being cornered and won't think that he's showing favoritism behind the scenes. The emperor slouch is quite funny in this entire scene. He's like, ugh, why are you doing this to me? Two things that are very illuminating to me in this conversation is one, the emperor is aware of all of the family dynamics within the Gu family. He knows the troubles that Gu Tingye's mother faced and his difficult upbringing. I think that's very important for building a pretty trusting relationship between the emperor and Gu Tingye. And it's actually described a little bit in the book. The emperor likes Gu Tingye because he has issues at home. If he was this like very upstanding guy without any issues, the emperor might think of him as a threat. And two, the emperor and Gu Tingye must have very direct lines of communication. Otherwise, why would the emperor be so frustrated that Gu Tingye didn't ask him for mercy in private rather than in public and unannounced? This means that the emperor and Gu Tingye planned plenty of things together in private. Well, the emperor doesn't have any choice in the matter and just dismisses Gu Tingye. She's like, get out. <laughs> After Gu Tingye leaves, though, a concubine arrives. We have seen her before, throwing a temper tantrum at food not being properly cared for for her son. This time, she walks in with some sweets she's prepared for the emperor, who has no appetite to eat. She, though, then starts pointing fingers and noting how poor Gu Tingye's behavior has been. She thinks Gu Tingye is starting to ally herself, not with the emperor, but with the emperor's son, Prince Huan, instead. 
The emperor is furious at hearing her words and throws her out of the study. We've discussed enough past etiquette to know that this imperial concubine is way overstepping. She is not supposed to discuss court matters, and for her to do so this openly is rather taboo. What's interesting is she probably overheard a lot of the discussion just now, otherwise how could she have commented? Clearly, she's not someone who's happy to be behind the scenes, but instead wants to have a say in court affairs. And we'll see how that plays out for her. Also, I'm not really liking that pink that she's wearing. It doesn't look too great on her. Given Gu Tingye's public plea, we next see his younger brother, Gu Tingwei, being released from prison. His mother, Madame Qin, and her headmaid, Nianyi Xiang, go to pick him up. Gu Tingwei is made aware that his older brother has passed and that Gu Tingye is now the head of the family. Qi Hong and his wife, Madame Shen, pay their respects to the deceased older Gu brother. This Madame Shen is still trying to figure out her husband, and she also oversteps. As they return home, instead of sitting in a carriage, he decides to walk home and she follows. This was actually like a pretty nice gesture on his part, I would say. Outside, he discusses the current state of affairs at court. Madame Shen slips in that Gu Tingye and his wife were not present at the main hall to greet them because, you know, it seems like they're running afoul at court. This touches on Si Hong's pain point, and he immediately cuts her off, saying that issues at court are all the fault of Gu Tingye alone. Why bring in mention of his family? Si Hong then suggests that they drink a cup of tea before heading home and just walks off. Madame Shin, to her maid, says that it's clear Si Hong can't and hasn't forgotten about Milan. So, messing with her husband to let out some of his anger is probably a good thing. And this is what I find so annoying about Si Hong. Not only can his wife say that he's unfairly targeting Gu Tingye, but so can Madame Qin as well. And he's delusional in thinking that he's not doing it. When Madame Qin went to pick up her son from prison, she told Gu Tingwei that the whole reason he went to prison is because Qi Hong is trying to battle it out with Gu Tingye. Qi Hong, you are now being childish and hot-headed. You're doing this because you're pissed off that Gu Tingye married the woman you wanted. Like, geez. Let it go. But, as we'll see in future episodes, he does not. Unfortunately, not everyone in the Gu family was saved from punishment. While Gu Tingwei was able to leave prison, the cousin Gu Tingbin from the fourth house was sentenced to exile for his part in supporting the rebel prince. As he's being let off, he's crying to his parents that Gu Tingye is a terrible person for not saving him, and that he did this on purpose. His father, the fourth uncle, has no words, even though the women of the family are crying. The fourth uncle refuses to bow in front of Gu Tingye and ask for help. Male ego and stubbornness 
Like, again, how dare you? You basically stole from him, and now you have the gall to say, oh, my God, he didn't help my son. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. What, what a crazy family. Despite death and exile for the rest of the Gu family, there is good news to come from this whole saga of the Gu family imprisonment. And that is that Gu Tingye's mother received a posthumous title as wife of the former marquis and was able to change her caste to that of nobility. Not only that, the emperor has decreed Gu Tingye as the new marquis of Mingyuan, and Milan also received a title. She is now a Gaoming Furin, which I will discuss at length in our analysis. This is a high honor, which is very rare and special, as Milan says, even her grandmother, the sole daughter of a duke, does not have this title. This special honor is bestowed upon her, as Guotin explains, because she married him. Sadly, members of the Gu family arrived shortly after to reign on their parade. Madame Qin, Gu Tingwei, and the aunt and uncle from the fifth house come over to berate Gu Tingye for not saving Gu Tingbing, the cousin who is now in exile. And he, remember, is from the fourth house. The fifth uncle thinks it's because Gu Tingye wanted his cousin to serve punishment. Gu Tingye accurately corrects him by saying that he didn't want his cousin to serve punishment, but rather it was the emperor. Insults continue to be hurled at Gu Tingye and is hysterically escalated when Gu Tingye publicly questions why the fifth uncle always steps in to protect his sister-in-law, Madame Qin. What's the reasoning here? Uh... The fifth uncle is furious at the implication while Madame Tien is over there loudly crying crocodile tears and uh, saying or crying how much she's being bullied by Gu Tingye. Her fake tears always bring a smile to my face because she's wailing loudly, but we all know it's an act. Oh, she's so good. Gu Tingye throws a vase on the ground in anger when she says that she doesn't know what she's done. She has been nothing but accommodating, yet she doesn't understand how she's raised such a son. Like, please. Finally, Gu Tingye doesn't scream or yell. He just simply states that he won't keep the crowd for lunch. Well, I think everybody was expecting him to start yelling, and then, you know, they were hoping to find something to um, kind of, like, turn the tables against Gu Tingye, but... Gu Tingye has grown up. He's like, you know what? I won't keep you guys for the meal. You are welcome to leave. <laughs> the staff are all holding in their laughter as the group hastily leaves. But not before Madame Tin assesses the situation with her eyes and continues, quote unquote, crying again. Also, um, does... I guess they do, uh, Madame Tin and the fifth uncle, I guess they do know that Gu Tingye risked a lot to save his family, and they still have the gall to be like, oh my gosh, why didn't you save uh, your cousin? Like, he basically was um, putting his neck on the line uh, for his family, and they still come in berating him. 
I would just not have bothered. Outside in front of their carriage, Gu Tingwei is annoyed at his mother for coming along on this excursion. After all, it is as Gu Tingye says, these people are coming into his home to berate him. Gu Tingwei now thinks he can't rely on his brother to get a job at court. Madame Qin's demeanor immediately changes. Instead of acting as the wronged woman, she swiftly turns into a sharp and threatening mother. She claims that he, Gu Tingwei, and Gu Tingye are sworn enemies. Gu Tingwei doesn't believe so. In the carriage, he's listening to his mother angrily analyze court affairs. She's furious that Gu Tingye has taken the title of Marquis, something that should be her son's. I really like Gu Tingwei right here because he's probably the most clear-headed person in the entire Gu family. Or at least he focuses on um, family versus kind of the, the titles and all that. He pushes back on his mother that since Gu Tingye already secured the title and he's not a frail health and he has a great relationship with his wife, he, Gu Tingwei, will most likely not have the opportunity to succeed the title. So it's better to not think about it. Well, not according to his mother, because Madame Tian continues to plot and openly states that she's not the only one that wants Gu Tingye dead. Plenty of people want him dead, so they will just have to wait. At this, Gu Tingwei is so annoyed at his mother, he jumps off the carriage and storms off. Honestly, it's true. As he's asked before getting on the carriage, when they were young, Madame Tian was a doting mother to Gu Tingye, and he, Gu Tingwei, had a loving brother who looked out for him. What's wrong with that? Why can't they keep that relationship anymore? And yes, if you recall the first two episodes, when Gu Tingye was just a teenage boy, Madame Tian and Gu Tingwei went to pick him up from the port after returning from Yangzhou. I distinctly remember that scene because there's a layer of innocence between the brothers that is missing now with the cloud of titles, power, and money hanging over them. That night, Gu Tingye warns Minglan that with these new titles and whatnot, they have to be extra careful of the continued threats from the likes of Madame Qin. Minglan is hard at work using her abacus to review accounts within the family. She acknowledges that it will be challenging and is rather stressed out about it all. Which is true, she has to manage the finances of the family. But what does Gu Tingye focus on? The fact that she calls him Guanyin rather than call him by a, uh, a more casual name. So, he spends the next couple of moments trying to push her into calling him Arlong, which simply means, I guess, according to the YouTube translation, Darling Second or The Second Guy. Long is a word often used by family members to call someone in a more intimate way. Milan wants to call him Guanyin, which is a more formal way for a wife to call her husband. I'll explain this a bit more later on, but I can clearly see what Gu Tingye is worried about. It's kind of trivial, but sure. 
The fact that his wife is not calling him by doting name in private, but rather the respectful title, he's kind of miffed. Okay, all right. Gu Tingyan, I guess you have great priorities. <laughs> so when um, Gu Tingyan gets Milan to finally call him Arlong, he is pretty happy about it, but she's like, oh my god, this is so weird. It, it's honestly quite cute. As Minglan and Gu Tingye continue to level up, so to speak, in their position and titles, their conflicts also escalate. The rest of this episode and the next one and a half are dedicated to the challenge that presents itself in the form of old enemies. I'm not going to lie, these are um, not my favorite episodes in the drama, but we will power through. One day at the Sanqing Temple, Madame Qin and her maid are stopped by a middle-aged man wishing to sell them some incense. At first, the woman tried to wave him away, but he reveals that what he has come to sell comes from Yangzhou, and it is revealed that he is from the Bai family. If we go all the way back to episode one and two, he is the Bai family member who tried to take the Bai family inheritance from Gu Tingye's grandfather after he passed. This Bai person is a relative of Gu Tingye who wants his entire fortune. He is displeased that Gu Tingye is able to claim everything just because he's the heir to the marquee. Here again is an entitled relative who expects much more than should be received. In any case, he has come to present relevant ammunition to Madame Qin in the form of one Zhu Man Niang. That's right. She is Gu Tingye's mistress and mother of his two children. Despite Gu Tingye's countrywide search, it was the Bai family who was able to locate this woman first and bring her to the capital. This will prove to be extremely useful to Madame Qin, who quickly plots her next move. So during this scene, I want people to look at the clothing of uh, Xiang Mama and Madame Qin. They actually swapped. So it's clear that they were here to meet somebody and they didn't want um, it to be obvious that it was Madame Qin or a noblewoman meeting. So Xiang Mama was kind of dressed more elegantly and Qin Da Nianzi was actually on the side dressed uh, more at, in a servant manner. So... I think they knew that they were meeting somebody, but they just didn't know who. In the very next scene, we see Qin Da Nianzi or Madame Qin in a litter outside of Gu Tingye's residence. She calls to him to travel together since he is going to the palace for court and she'll head to a temple. One small detail that is not important right now, but I appreciate is that Gu Tingye is now a marquee. So his outfit has upgraded to a purple one rather than the red one he was wearing early in the episode. And I will talk about this in the analysis. As the group heads off, Zhu Menyang suddenly appears and stops Gu Tingye in his tracks. She repeatedly cries out for him and Madame Qin pretends to be surprised by stepping out of her litter and uh, pretends recognizes this woman. In the main hall back at the Cheng Gardens, 
Man Yang is kneeling on the ground with Ming Lan and Madame Qin at the head of the room with Gu Jingye sitting to the side. This is a little interesting to me because I guess with Man Yang around, she's under the purview of Ming Lan's authority at home. Usually it would be um, Qin Da Niang's and Madame Qin and Gu Tingye sitting at the head of the table or at the head of the room and Ming Lan would be on the side. Madame Qin does not hesitate or take a breath in making a slew of passive-aggressive comments towards Minglan. All of them are to urge Minglan to allow Manyang into the family as a concubine. Minglan pushes back with the fact that the late Marquis, Madame Qin's husband, adamantly refused to allow this woman into the family. And he has only passed recently. The implication is that Madame Tien is acting contrary to her late husband's wishes, which she should not do. Zhu Manyang then tries to goad Minglan into a poor light by recounting how Minglan roundly admonished her years ago on behalf of her friend Yu Yanran, and whether that was all a plot to marry her darling Gu Long. Um, anyone have goosebumps just listening to her repeatedly call Gu Tingye, Gu Lang, or Arlong? She's like, Gu Lang, Arlong, ugh. She reminds me of Mistress Lin. And, uh, it sounds pretty unnatural. So Gu Lang, or Arlong, are the names that Gu Tingye actually wants Ming Lan to call him. So the fact that Man Yang is just tossing these around right now. Um, it's kind of not pleasing to my ears. Ming Lan responds that she's not as smart as Man Yang, and she married where her family told her to marry, and she had very little say in the matter. Though you can tell Madame Tin is now quite intrigued by what Man Yang has revealed, because she didn't know about this. Recognizing that this may get out of hand, Gu Tingye who has largely been silent during this conversation, tells or basically informs Madame Tien that this is his family's private affairs and requests that she be escorted out. Which she's like, uh, what? And uh, she kind of reluctantly leaves. The primary concern for Gu Tingye is to see his son. Right now, he could not care less about Menyang. Her condition, though, is for her to allow her to enter the Gu family and for her name to be included in the ancestral book or family genealogy. Only then will Gu Tingye be able to see his son. In Minglan's private quarters, Gu Tingye is pacing angrily back and forth. He doesn't think there's much option other than to first pretend to accept her conditions which also involves spending a night with Zhu Manyang. Once his son surfaces, they will immediately rescue him without further thought of Manyang. Minglan, though, reminds him that Manyang doesn't seem like someone who can be easily dealt with. She'll probably continue to raise requests. They will have to be very careful because these requests are easy to satisfy right now, but what about future requests? This is another gut punch to Gu Tingye because 
He now sees that Milan doesn't even care if he spends a night with another woman. Milan right now shows absolutely no jealousy whatsoever. He storms away, absolutely furious at Milan's nonchalantness towards sharing her husband. But for me, I guess now is not the time to try to further this conversation. Milan is still at this point thinking, okay, what do I do about this whole situation? How can I help my husband? I think right now jealousy is the last thing from her mind. And I'm sure she's jealous, but she isn't really still ready to just uh, show this to Gu Tingye. And that's all that Gu Tingye wants right now. That night, Gu Tingye goes to the room where Zhu Manyang is situated. She is in a rather nice, bright pink outfit, miles nicer than the cheap clothes she was wearing earlier. And again, bright pink, colors for a concubine. Manyang shares all the pain she suffered while on the run. All of her money was spent by her good-for-nothing brother and to take care of her son. Zhu Manyang shows her blistered and worn-out hands because she's been taking many odd jobs to make a living. For a hot second, I was worried that Gu Tingye would turn soft. It's kind of hard to push back against her when she speaks in such a soft and sweetly voice. When Gu Tingye tries to press for answers around his son's whereabouts, though, Zhu Manyang repeatedly pushes back against this request and firmly but softly states that unless she sees her name in the ancestral book or family genealogy, she will not reveal where her son is. Gu Tingye promptly stands up to tell Zhu Manyang that if she treats him this way by not answering even one question before she's entered the family, how will she treat him after being named a concubine? Phew, thank God he has a clear head. He's clearly seen through her schemes that she will continue to take and take and take. And Gu Tingye here is firm in not giving her anything until he sees his son. Zhou Manyang quietly agrees to tell him and requests he step closer. But instead of telling him where his son is, she pulls out a dagger and actually stabs Gu Tingye. He falls back and cries for his servants to come help. And that is when Zhu Manyang, in a craze, screams a huge bombshell. Their son has died. He has been dead for a long time. And the episode ends with Zhu Manyang being dragged off as Gu Tingye screams in disbelief. He thinks she is lying. Whew, heavy stuff for uh, this episode. It started with... The emperor berating Gu Tingye, then it turned to the family berating Gu Tingye. And now Gu Tingye has to deal with his mistress or ex-mistress and only to find out that maybe his son has died. That's a lot to handle in, in one episode. <laughs> Ooh, we'll have to see what happens with Zhu Manyang in the next couple of episodes. Now let's turn our attention to the historical analysis. We have quite a bit to discuss today, actually. First up is related to all of the titles that are granted to our main couple, Gu Tingye and Ming Lan. 
With the death of Gu Tingye's brother Gu Tingyu in the last episode, he had no heir, so Gu Tingye now inherits the title of Marquis of Ningyuan. A eunuch comes to read out the decree, and the imperial decree starts off with some pleasantries praising Gu Tingye. A couple of places and items are mentioned, which I will discuss here. The first uh, phrase um, is Tong Shan Zhi Cui Qi, or the pure air of the mountain of Kong Tong. These Kong Tong mountains are located in Gansu province in China, which is on the, towards the west, and are uh, a sacred range of mountains for Taoism. It is the legendary meeting place for the Yellow Emperor and sage Guang Chengzi, where they discussed governance and health way back, um, according to legend, like in 2500 BC. These mountains house one of the five main schools of Chinese martial arts um, called Kong Tong Pai. And if you are a fan of Kung Fu novels, they are usually actually quite prominently featured in various Kung Fu novels. It's a pretty sacred place in Chinese culture, which I guess is why the imperial edict then goes to state, again, the phrase Tongshan Zhi Cui Qi, or the pure air of the mountain of Tongshan, or Mountain Tong. Next up is Huang Shi Zhi Qi Shu, or the sacred book of Huang Shi. The original book is actually called Su Shu, but written by Huang Shi Gong, a Qin and Han Dynasty philosopher who died in 195 BC. The book is about ways of governing in a morally righteous and virtuous manner, and it is said that the advisor Zhang Liang used Huang Shigong's sacred book, or Huang Shi Zhi Qi Shu, to aid Liu Bang, the first emperor of the Han Dynasty, after overthrowing the Qin Dynasty and establishing the Han Dynasty in 202 BC. Next up is the title of Jin Zi Guang Lu Da Fu. So in addition to inheriting the marquee title, Gu Tingye is also granted the title of Jin Zi Guang Lu Da Fu. Honestly, there isn't really a good translation, so I'm going to use the YouTube one, which translates to Golden Purple Glorious Grandmaster. There's not too much to this title. It's more of a, uh, I guess, a pretty name. It's like, hey, here's Gu Tingye. He's not only general, he's not only a marquee, but he's also a uh, glorious grandmaster. During the Song Dynasty, though, the rank is now of a minor second rank, which is quite high. So, Tong Arpin. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, Gu Tingye now wears purple at court because anyone with a third rank or senpin or above gets to wear purple. So again, uh, kudos to the drama for uh, making that correct change. Now let's discuss Gao Ming, specifically for Minglan. I couldn't find a translation of it easily on the web, but basically means that the wife or a mother of an official is granted like an official title. This is different from marrying into nobility. So Minglan right now, she is uh, a marchioness 
because she's married to Gu Tingye, but she's not granted that title. She married with that title. Now, these titles or Gaomi are titles that were granted or gifted by imperial decree. So she would be considered like a like a court lady or a Ming Fu. Now, in history, there were inner court ladies and outer court ladies. Inner would be related to the imperial harem, unmarried princesses, or close female servants and uh, relations to the harem. Outer court ladies refer to married princesses and the wives or mothers of members of court, in which the uh, imperial family would want to gift or grant these titles to. Before the Tang Dynasty, so the 7th century AD, there was a uh, preliminary ranking system, but most of the wives were simply titled Furin, which is the same translation as wife nowadays. The ranking system actually for uh, married women or the mother of these court officials became more developed during the Tang Dynasty, and that's when the term Gaoming Furin came to be. Typically, a woman's title would match her husband's rank at court. As a Gaoming Furin, the lady could now attend official banquets in the palace hosted by the empress. She would also receive a salary, but she has no actual power. As the wife of a Jinzi Guangru Da Fu, which we just said was the additional title conferred to Gu Tingye, who is of the second rank, Ming Lan was gifted the title of Yong Jia Jun Furin. The YouTube translation is Lady of Yong Jia Commandery. Uh, her rank, though, is Jun Furin, which corresponds to the second rank. Yong Jia is the name. For Milan, this is the highest title amongst all the women of the Sheng family. As mentioned, her grandmother doesn't even have a Gaoming title, which oftentimes, or mostly, is dependent on the husband. Milan's stepmother-in-law, or Madame Qin, was recently granted the title of Tai Furin, which means mother of the noble or official. Well, we'll see that many in the Sheng family, <coughs> cough, Mulan, gets jealous at these titles that are bestowed to Milan. There's also a quick shot of incense that is burning when the imperial edict is being read, and that is um, the uh, eunuch is standing in front of it, but we see the shot of the incense burning. I believe this is correct because it is a very formal decree and setting up the incense shows respect to the emperor and the uh, imperial edict itself. Usually you don't see this being shown in Chinese drama, so I'm very glad that they uh, highlighted it here, even if it's just one shot. Okay, enough about titles. Next up, let's talk about the phrase guanyin. So, in the episode, there is a cute little interlude where Gu Tingye wants Milan to stop calling him Guanren, which is what a wife called her husband during the Song Dynasty. The literal translation is official man. Guan, official, Ren, man or person. At home, the man is the head of the household, and in Imperial China, wives couldn't directly say their husband's name, so it would either be Guanren or as Gu Tingye wants, Arlong, because that's less formal. 
if you pay attention in the drama, I don't think any of the women speak their husband's names. Well, unless they're pissed and they'll be like, oh my god, blah blah blah. But um listen to Wang Dan Yangzi, she would always say Guan Ren or Mistress Lin or uh, would always say Hong Long. They wouldn't straight up call the man or their husband Sheng Hong. That was very disrespectful. So Gu Tian just wants to, to be a little bit closer to his wife. Lastly, there is an idiom used by Gu Tianye in the episode when trying to figure out how to deal with Zhu Manyang when talking to Ming Lan. And the idiom is called Xu Yi, which means to deal with someone courteously up front, but without sincerity. So basically just flattery and like not actually following up. The first record of this idiom appeared in the book of Zhuang, so based off of the philosopher Zhuangzi's teachings. He lived during the Warring States period from 369 BC to 286 BC. In the book of Zhuang, the origin of the story goes like this. In the kingdom of Zheng, there was reportedly a shaman called Ji Xian who claimed that he could protect life and death. Apparently a very uh, powerful man. A Taoist monk, Lianzi, really believed him and told his teacher, Hu Zi, who agreed to summon the shaman. When the shaman first arrived, he told Lianzi that Hu Zi would die soon. Because Hu Zi was apparently uh, displaying some interesting symptoms. Lianzi was very distraught and told his teacher. But in private, Hu Zi tells Lianzi that he was just pretending. Over the course of the next few days, the two men summoned the shaman. But the shaman would say something different each time based on the symptoms, quote-unquote, that Hu Zi would display. On the last day, though, the shaman sees Hu Zi and promptly runs away. Hu Zi admits that he was stringing the shaman along the whole time, and once the shaman figured out that Hu Zi knew that the shaman was just saying things to please him and not making any observations, he fled. And that is where we get the idiom Xu Wei Yi, which means to flatter uh, without actual any backup or sincerity. But it's actually really cool if you read the original text because it is very much in the context of Taoism. I had to read a lot of explanations of this to really get the story. Um, but I didn't know that Zhuangzi had so much Taoist influence in it. This is also a fascinating instance of um, linguistics and the transformation of spoken language because the word yi itself actually means snake or she. So if you see the word by itself and how I had thought about it for years and years was, oh, xu yu wei she. But it's actually xu yu wei yi. So the, the last word of this idiom in this idiom specifically is yi and not she, which means snake. Over the years, uh, the word, the written form of the word, has transformed to mean snake. But the phrase, and specifically the pronunciation of yi, was documented in the Song Dynasty. 
So that has stuck ever since on how this phrase is actually spoken. Pretty cool, right? All right, that was a lot of history. Let's close out with book differences, and there are also many. In the episode, the drama gives more insight on the struggles that the emperor is facing at court and the repercussions that Gu Tingye's actions have, especially for asking for leniency for his family. These aren't really depicted in the book, as the focus is, of course, on Minglan and the drama she has to deal with at home. The TV show brings up uh, the politics to the forefront, which I think is a clever way of bringing Qi Hong back into the mix. He basically disappears in the book after Milan gets married, except for a couple of scenes. The concubine that shows up um, also gets more screen time in the drama as well. Also, can I just say, again, Qi Hong, get over it with Milan and treat your wife well, please. And Madame Shen, also accept the fact that your husband has a past and stop purposefully stepping on his landmines. It doesn't help anybody. <laughs> Up next, Milan receives her Gaoming foreign title way early in the book. She receives it shortly after she's married, but it actually makes a lot of sense to place it here because it pairs nicely with Gu Tingye's uh, title of Marquis. We will discuss Manyang at length in the next episode, but suffice it to say that in the book, Gu Tingye actually had tabs on her throughout the years. He gave her money and her son land, but banned her from returning to the capital. The events in the latter half of this episode and the next episode and a half diverge significantly in the books, but I don't want to spoil too much right now, so um, I'll spend a lot more time discussing Zhu Manyang in the next episode um, and how the book and the drama kind of decide to deal with this character. Okay, and that is it for today. It was a, it's a long episode. If you haven't already, please check out our website with the latest drama reviews we've done or follow along the dramas we're currently watching. It's nearing the uh, holidays and end of year, so we're going to be posting a bit more now that we have a little bit more time. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head over to Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It's a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. You can stream it through the website Jumo, XUMO, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. Again, all this is free. The music you heard is the zither piece called Lan with sheet music by Bing Jiu Wan Jun and played by Karen. We will catch you in the next episode.